0: episode seven, how we're already in July. That's really hard for me to believe. I'm coming off of like a day and a half of actual intentional, not working. And for the first time in like close to seven months, right? Like I, I, I didn't take time off to do um, other shit, right? Like I didn't take time off to do like operation stuff or recipe and development or I mean, whatever, right? Like I didn't fill my plate with more shit. I actually just straight up did not work for like a day and a half. And I tried to record this episode the morning of my first day off. And I was like really beating myself up that I didn't get it done. And I tried to record it and I was all over the place. And I'm actually really glad that I waited because I feel like my head is on straight. Can I just tell you that for a person that really respects and values the importance of rest and I mean, whatever, I mean like taking care of yourself, self-care, but not in a way that's like bathtubs and face masks, which if you know anything about me at all, you know that I'm actually a mermaid. And I spend as much time as I humanly possibly can inside of my bathtub. Um, and so I love a bath, right. But I'm talking about like the kind of rest and like self-care that is like nurturing to like your brain cells and your body and just like inherently like filling up your cup instead of like, slapping a face mask on and reading emails. I don't know anything about that. Anyways. So I did, I just spent like a day and a half of just like resting and being outside and enjoying the company of somebody that I really enjoy spending time with. And so I am so glad that I waited. I'm also so glad that I waited because I got asked a favorite question of mine, which I'm going to actually save for the end. But initially, when I tried to record this, I was so all over. the. I was like, just so excited that I got asked this question. And I was so jazzed to talk about it, that it was not translating. Well, it was like shamble mountain. Um, I was trying to do too much. So I am just gonna hop right up in there. Okay, we're just gonna start right off the bat with some questions somebody did email me and we were kind of corresponding back and forth about like you know what am i doing what what's up with butter moon um and for those of you that are maybe just tuning in or listening for the first time i own a bakery here in denver called butter moon bake co um and uh, the first few episodes were talking a lot about farmers markets and whatnot and so i am i'm still at the city park farmers market and that's actually where you can find me every Saturday from eight until one all the way through October. So I am still at the farmer's market. I am still like getting to know other vendors and I don't know, just really enjoying my time there and like getting to know the community there. And so, yes, I I am still there. I can't make every single episode just about the farmer's market. I mean, between like situational stuff and then like products that we have and other vendors. sell. I mean, I could theoretically, like make an episode about every single farmer's market that I do, but that's neither here nor there. So at any rate, this first question is from Eliza in Summit County. um, And she said, hi, Ava, how do you find the time to make dinner every night for your children? (laughs) Spoiler alert. I actually share custody with my ex, um, who I am grateful to be co-parenting the hell out of our children together with. Um, so number one, I I don't have them every night. And number two, um, let's just make it abundantly clear about (laughs) the dinners that I make and sort of what that has looked like for me in terms of relinquishing some, um, I mean, some control, but also this like idea of, what, what the meals that I prepared look like and sort of accepting, um, what my time and energy looks like in the evening as a single parent, as a single mom. Um, part of like a, a big part of my identity when I was, um, staying at home with my children, when I was with my ex-husband was like feeding the people that I love. Right. So that's something that I still really love, but it, I struggled with, and I mean, even for months after I moved out of his house, um, that I did not have to do it all. And sometimes in some weeks and some days are better than others. I really love cooking. I really love feeding people. I really love creating meals with intention. I don't love phoning it in. um, there's a lot of fucking times that I am phoning it in. Okay, so let's just be like abundantly clear about what it is that I'm turning out in the kitchen these days. Uh, so Monday night in my house is pancake pajama party. I know that I've referenced that in several episodes. Uh, and that was born out of just like bringing in some levity and like fun and also something that's not going to like kill me to do. So I just do. Uh, I make pancakes from scratch, which we'll talk about <laughs> how frozen waffles have recently stolen the show. But then I also just feel like little cupcake liners with just whatever, right? Like berries and sprinkles and marshmallows and nuts of some kind. And then it's like fun. And, uh, I have a four-year-old, she's almost five. Uh, and you know, it's like, uh, interactive and she can make her pancake how she so chooses. And so like, that's already bam. Like That's one night a week. is like pancakes and then she recently discovered uh, the power of a frozen waffle because I definitely don't offer or keep those often. And so she's real fucking jazzed about that, which I feel like that's just like, that's just the way that parenting goes sometimes. And you're like, never mind the pancakes that I'm making you from scratch. And I'm so glad that you're jazzed about these. So that's already one meal. And then, you know, like I said, some weeks are better than others. How I find the time. Uh, I mean, I, both of my children are in childcare. I work for myself. And so, uh, I also make it a point to have dinner done by the time that I pick them up because making dinner with an almost one-year-old, uh, who likes his mama, Okay, like I am his I am his person. And so he kind of, you know, and like, it's been a long ass day for him. And so he's kind of like ready to be by me and be on me and be held and loved and carried and whatnot. And so yes, I have put him in the carrier since he was born. That's basically where he lived for the first four months of his life. Uh, But as he gets bigger, you know, that's not always as easy. Um, And so number one, I just like create the time. And number two, I'm not making the kind of meals that I was making, you know, a year ago. And that's cool because that's not what my life looks like anymore. You know? And like I said, that's taken me a long time to sort of like accept and be cool with. Um, but there's like a lot of pasta. There's like a lot of quick curries. Uh, there's like a lot of sheet pan things that I can get like, you know, some protein and a veg and whatever just like on a pan you know what I mean so um I just I don't necessarily find the time I create it and I do my best to you know make sure that it's not something that that I you know like there for a minute cooking turned into not fucking fun it's not fun when you're trying to do something that you absolutely should not be doing that's my own shit right like making some like heavily involved whatever while you're like being interrupted by a one-year-old and like, you know, that's not, that's not conducive to like anybody's mental health in my house. So, you know, I'm just like trying to do my best to be realistic, right. About like everybody's time and also what they value. Um, and like be realistic with like, what's going to drive me crazy, like is making the coursed meal actually, you know, like if it's going to drive me nuts and drive my kids nuts, like, is that, that's not serving me well. You know what I'm saying? So I hope that was helpful. And I also hope that I gave you some ideas like eat pancakes one day a week for dinner. Your life will just inherently be easier. Another question is, Hey, as you know, peach season is upon us. What is your favorite thing to do with peaches so if you live in Colorado like obviously you're a Palisade peach stan and I know I've been waiting on peaches and I mean we're like just getting into summer right so like I really haven't done anything with peaches yet however I did just have a dear friend of mine in from Chicago that stayed with me for several nights and they bought some peaches, some Palisade peaches at the farmer's market last Saturday while they were hanging out with me. Um, And obviously they did not take them back on the airplane with them. And so I am going to actually use Palisade peaches for the first time this season. So, I mean, I could bang on about all of the things that I love. Obviously I'm going to be doing some things for my bakery, Butter Moon, um peach pies are heavily requested around here. And so, yes, I I have heard y'all a million times. That's definitely in the works. I want to do like some peach and basil tartlets. I'm actually doing a um, pop-up here in Denver uh, with Awakening Boutique and Blue Flame Studios which is, uh, Mackenzie is a photographer here in Colorado and, um, I'm going to be doing like an exclusive never done before by me flavor using peaches for that pop-up, um, which is going to be on July 9th. So I'm really excited about that. I also like the beauty of a really quality peach is just sort of like the beauty of a really quality peach. You know what I'm saying? Just similarly to like any really, great produce or like I mean like a great steak or like um like really fantastic bread is things like that don't really need to be fucked with a lot you know what I'm saying like put a little salt on my steak and put like good quality butter on my bread and with peaches like I love to grill them make like a little mascarpone whip uh and like leave it be you know what I'm saying? Also, I love peaches paired with pork in, um, some salads, you know, do something with like a little burrata and a little balsamic. I feel like that's sort of the beauty about produce, especially in the summertime, you know, like just seasonal shit, not even just like produce in the summer, but like when you're eating around the seasons, um, I feel like that's kind of the beauty of it is that like the peach is the star that said, I grew up eating a uh, peach cobbler that my Oma made, and I never really had a relationship with this woman. Um, but in her older years, she became much softer. And, um, you know, we shared a couple memories, you know, wh- whether it was reminiscing about food that um, she had made for me in the past or that she grew up making. Uh, but peach cobbler always reminds me of hers and hers was really well done. And so that's another one of my favorites to do. Um, I also really like doing a peach pound cake. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to shut up because I I could really, peaches are like for sure, hands down one of my favorite foods ever. And so I feel like I could like, I feel like I could go on and on about that, but yeah, I feel like let peaches kind of like be the s- star on their own. I mean, like, absolutely. Like I intend on making like peach galettes or like a crostata and I'm going to do some peach cobbler and that sort of thing. But if you can get your hands on really quality, ripe peaches, just like leave them be, put a little balsamic and just kind of let them do their thing. Okay. I hope that was helpful to you. <laughs> um, so as I said in the beginning, I got asked, somebody emailed me what my favorite, I'm summarizing also, um, because it was, there was like some correspondence and we emailed back and forth. But, uh, basically the question was, what is some of my favorite food writing or like specifically food memoir? And I tried to talk about this sans an outline the first time that I tried to record this before I took my time off because I was just like so fucking motivated. I'm talking about this is all this like encompasses all my favorite things. Right. And if you've listened to any of the episodes in the past, you may or may not know that I am actually in the process of writing a food adjacent memoir and so this is just sort of like encompassing all of my favorite things that just like gas me the fuck up like food and writing and food writing specifically and storytelling and so I was like oh I can like easily talk about all of this and just sort of like bam 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 like naming the and I was like oh no I think I got like 15 minutes into recording and I was like you like this is Shamble Mountain and so there was like not enough like clarity and rhyme or reason As usual, as always, I feel like every episode, there's always one question that I feel like I could literally just spend the entire episode or just hours in general speaking about this one thing. And this is like hands down by miles and miles, something that I could just talk about forever. And so I did all of us a favor really. And I got my life together and wrote out a little outline. And the reality is, is like, I'm not going to spend like a tremendous amount of time, um, talking about all of my favorites. I sort of broke them down into little categories, um, because I really could, I could just talk about this forever. So my favorite, um, sort of intro uh you know perhaps you don't know a lot about food writing or you haven't read a lot about you know food memoir or whatever um and and even like if you are like i wish i was a better cook or whatever samin nosrad's salt fat acid Heat is just such a well done across the board whether you want to read it because you need some direction in the kitchen whether you need like some inspiration or if you're like staring at shit in your cupboard all the time and you have like no idea what to pair it with um and even if you just want some story and also if you're like a big stan of like illustration i just this book as a whole in terms of like cookbook whatever salt, fat, acid, heat, man. I just like, I literally cannot, anytime that I ever see anybody is like, I need recommendations for, you know, my, my friend that doesn't cook that much, or like my kid that I'm sending to college, this is always my go-to recommendation. I think that it's like a fantastic piece of just like knowledge and literature. And it's just like a beautifully well-crafted sort of resource, honestly. So if you don't have salt, fat, acid, heat, I feel like you need it. I feel like everybody needs it. Like even seasoned cooks. I feel like it is it. I, I reference mine often. So, and then I also started thinking about, you know, like what, um, like what landed me in like food writing or whatever. And so kitchen confidential by Anthony Bourdain, duh, um, was actually the first food, I mean, like really food centered book that I read ever, but it was also that my, my first food memoir. And I just remember being, um, like loving so much the memoir part of it. And also you may or may not know that, uh, I wanted to go to culinary school out of high school and that was like not in my cards and that was not available to me at that time. And, and I'm grateful that I actually did not go to culinary school for, a multitude of reasons. Um, but I remember feeling close and like closer to that identity or being like, yeah, like this is what, you know, this is what I wanted to like experience. And now that I'm saying that out loud about kitchen confidential, I'm not like specifically talking about like, like sex, drugs and rock and roll in the kitchen. Um, more or less just, I mean, you'll have to read it. Right. I mean, but I just remember being like, wow, this is a thing. I didn't realize that these, two things like sort of slept together, right? Like food and writing. Um, and so uh, I feel like for most cooks or home cooks or whatever people that are jazzed about food, this is always on their list. Right. And then another one, um, the first food memoir that I read that was formatted in this way with like essays and recipes was actually Molly Weisenberg's A Homemade Life. And I just remember being floored that writing in this way number 1 was like a thing that people got paid to do right <laughs> right and also again it was just like embodying like all of my most favorite things and like putting them in like a bundle in a package right i mean like i loved cookbooks as a kid and as like a young teenager and then i also i've always loved reading since i was really young um and that's you know sort of like how i escaped Uh, as a child and as a teenager. And so, yeah, just like if reading that for the first time and feeling like a connection or like, you know, sharing some nostalgia with somebody else that like you don't know. Right. I mean, anytime that you read really touching or really good writing, I feel like that's sort of some of the feeling that it invokes. Um, But I have had the same copy for years and years and years and years molly weisenberg is a delightful human being that i have had the pleasure of uh meeting in person by attending one of her uh writing workshops and uh, she also wrote delancy which i would consider to be uh a little bit more food adjacent but also like absolutely still like you know food focused and forward Uh, which is I mean she's just a fantastic writer so um, I really can't say enough great things about her Um, but yeah those were sort of like this uh, that was like the door that opened were we're both of those books Um, and then from there I mean I just like fell down this rabbit hole of being like holy shit food writing is a thing and I was like obsessed with it anywho um, I feel like you cannot even discuss or touch on food writing um, and food memoir without talking about Gabrielle Hamilton's "Blood, Bones and Butter." <laughs> I mean, like, just for so many reasons, on so many levels, it's it has some of the best storytelling out of any book that I've ever read. But the vignettes and like the scenes that Gabrielle is like able to create and sort of, I I mean it's like transcendent. I can't with that book. I've read it. I count. I mean, like literally countless times. I've probably read that book five or six times in my life since it has since it came out. In fact, um, actually, if you listen to last week's episode, um, I was talking about. Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zonner and how I actually listened to it, which is not something that I oftentimes do. I don't generally listen to audiobooks. I I love to read, like the the act of reading. Um but crying in H Mart was just stunning. I mean it was su- it was such a well done book, but listening to it and hearing her tell her story with her voice was really moving and super beautiful and I feel the same exact way with blood bones and butter. I've actually listened to that audiobook after I read it like I said five or six times. I've now listened to it twice. Um it's one of those books that you can even just like thumb through when you just like need inspiration or like creative direction, or to just like, if you're feeling like in a creative rut specifically, if you're into food writing, um, man, it really doesn't get much better than that. And even just being able to listen to her, um, also does something to my heart. So blood, bones and butter by Gabrielle Hamilton. I feel like you just can't even with food writing until you do that. um, and then my most favorite, I would, to me, they're sort of like food adjacent, right? I mean, they're like definitely, um, about food, but, uh, Toast by Nigel Slater, um, was a really powerful and, Im- it was, it, it impacted me in my writing for sure, uh, especially the way that I formatted my own book. And also, um, the Light of the World by Elizabeth Alexander, which is not oftentimes talked about. I don't know how many other people consider it to be, you know, like food adjacent. It absolutely is to me. Uh, but that book, like, shook me in ways that I didn't even know that I could be shook. Like, hands down, without a shadow of a doubt, is, like, in my top three favorite books of all time, food-related or not. Um that book like brought me fully to my knees and I did in my opinion some of the best writing that I've personally done after having read that book uh, I can't recommend it anymore anytime is like I'm over it like I just need something new to read that is always the book that I recommend it is so poignant and just like if you want to hurt your own fucking feelings and then like be built all the way back up again and then like want to crawl in bed and just like have a nice cry again. <laughs> like, please read that book. Actually, please read that book regardless. And then like report back to me. Cause I would love to hear what it does to your soul because it really is. It's really, it's, it's really that good to me. And then, so like I said, <laughs> like food and food writing and food memoir, um, these are just things that are like so close and near and dear to my heart. I could bang on about all of these things literally for days on end. I'm not going to, um, but some other ones that are at, at the very least worth mentioning that were, were also my favorite. Um, and most of them are just like gimmies, right? Like if, again, if you, if you enjoy reading about food or food memoir or food storytelling, then I am positive that you have heard uh, names like M.F.K. Fisher. I mean, like where you know, like where do you even start with any of that? Some of my all-time favorite, um, again, sort of like comfort classics that I can like go back to and read again and get the same amount of joy are Ruth Reichel books. I mean, comfort me with apples, tender at the bone. Um, garlic and sapphires. I, I pretty sure I have read all of those at least two or three times over the years. Um, she's also just an astounding writer and such a good storyteller. And I love all of her work. I don't think that I have ever read anything of hers that I didn't love. Um, save me the plums, her latest. I actually did listen to that on audio as well. Um, and that was, that was really nice. I, I feel like, and okay, I'm just like shooting myself in the foot here, but I actually listened to Toast by Nigel Slater, um, as well. So I, apparently the only books that I'm willing to listen to on audio are food related. I don't know. There's something like, I love listening to people talk about the shit that they love. And so I feel like with food writing, it just feels more personal. And so I don't know. I don't know if you agree with that, but I'm curious to hear what you think. Um, I just feel like there's something like a little bit deeper connected when you're listening to people talk about food or like their food memories or like creating dishes or whatever the case may be. You know what I'm saying? Um, And so let me just like shut up about <laughs> all of the audiobooks that i don't own because it turns out that i that i own several um also um i like so, again obvious one you know, julia child my life in france um yes chef by Marcus samuelson that one was really good um 32 yokes by eric repair uh, we've got like Laurie Colwyn books. I've, um Maru Joffrey is a fantastic writer. I'd feel like, again, we could talk about this for ages, but these are just some of my my favorites. And yeah, I just, <laughs> I literally, when I opened my email and somebody asked me this question, I was like, yes, I've just been. I've just been waiting for a reason to talk about all of the books about food that I love so much because especially, you know, there's like obvious parts of like pulling recipes, you know, like, like Molly's book, a homemade life, you know, that again, it's like essays tied with recipes. And so that's cool. You know what I mean? To like pull, uh, inspiration or recipes or whatever, like if you're needing something more in your own kitchen. Um, but I think for me as a writer and sort of knowing that I wanted to write something food related, right. Um, I wrote an essay, Actually I, I I finished and sort of like groomed and cleaned up and rewrote an essay in Molly's writing course that I attended in Santa Fe. And I remember thinking that, you know, this 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 sort of like essay and recipe was gonna be really reminiscent of um of, of her work in, in a homemade life and that I was going to do something similar. And so I wrote this essay and I attached my recipe for carrot cake to it, which several of you have and love. It is without a shadow of a doubt, one of my favorite recipes that I've developed and shared. Um, and I know several of y'all use it still, which like lights me up in tremendous ways, but I, I keep this essay. It's also the first essay of mine that I have ever, you know, like read aloud. Right. Um, and I read it while I was at the, as at the, while I was at the course. And I just remember thinking like, this is it, like, this is the catalyst for, for this book that I'm, that I'm writing and that I'm going to write. And then I ended up going like a pretty significantly different direction. Um, But I hold this essay and this recipe close to my heart. And so I'm going to share it with y'all. It's untitled. It's called, you can call it carrot cake. My earliest memories of food don't involve my mother. There wasn't Sunday morning pancakes or me hanging by her apron strings. She didn't teach me to whip in a chilled stainless steel bowl. I never watched her sear a steak in a cast iron before finishing it in the oven. She was armed with several go-tos in her recipe arsenal. Roast, spaghetti with jarred sauce, full of quartered mushrooms and chunks of bell pepper, stir fry with the vegetables all soggy and slices of steak, gray and tough. What I remember about my mother's approach to cooking was her doing so out of necessity. I remember eating steamed artichokes with her, dipping the leaves in melted butter studded with chopped garlic, and fighting over who who got to eat the heart. I remember canned green beans, frozen if it was payday. I remember big salads with slices of cucumber, raw mushrooms, sunflower seeds, wishbone Italian dressing, and a mountain of black pepper. Food wasn't plentiful, but we usually made doom. Which is why this carrot cake has, and always will, stand out in my mind, adding a certain level of decadence to an otherwise modest kitchen. I was nine years old when I made a carrot cake from scratch. Baking in this way was a thing all its own. It wasn't the boxed yellow cake that my mother loved. It required money to acquire ingredients not typically found in our cupboards. Brown sugar, confectioner's sugar, and raisins. It required time and attentiveness, things my mother had a hard time sharing. I grated the carrots while referencing the huge stained cookbook I had propped up on the counter. I wouldn't say I baked it with my mother per se, but she was there in and out of the kitchen, her anklet tinkling as she walked by, and she offered comfort by way of her presence, only the way a mother can, in my opinion. When you grow up with your mother, and your mother grows up with you, there is a quiet understanding, but also competition." Check me out, I thought, while also doing that back bend and sort of side eye thing one does when checking in on another. Was she seeing me? When my proud hands pulled the cake from the oven, I was deflated, learning I had forgotten the baking powder. What sat before me was thin and sad, unlike the tiered masterpiece in the photos. My mother paid no mind and ate it, bliss written across her face, and I ate up her adoration. That was one of the only times I remember baking from scratch with my mother, baking with or at least in company, her perch right there in the doorway, one arm wrapped around her soft waist, the other bringing up the lit cigarette to her lips, turning around to shoot me smiles. To me, that was with, and it was enough. And then I give y'all my carrot cake recipe, which i will include and it doesn't have anything to do with peaches or summer fruit and carrot cake typically is like a springtime whatever easter thing but i wanted to give it to y'all and if you end up making it i would love to hear what you think and so with that i leave you to your week and i appreciate y'all for hanging out with me again and i will catch y'all next week bye